time off beyond just for the sake of recharging. It's actually these practices that we do outside of work are noble because they increase the saturation of life. They increase the saturation of our soul. And how much is that worth, right? I don't even have an answer for that. It's priceless. Welcome to the Forging Metal Podcast with your blacksmiths, Tara O'Brien and Ron Duran Jr. Come inside and grab your hammer. The fire is hot and ready. It's time to harden the up. Let's get to work. The forge is now open. All right, John, gosh, I'm so excited to have you with us today. And uh, before I get into kind of firing off questions, I want to share a quick story. Uh, John and I met, I think it was roughly four years ago at uh, Seth Godin's Alt MBA program, which it's a, it's about a month long intensive uh, focusing on, on, on leadership topics. And we worked on a lot of projects together and, and dare I say, create a lot of, a lot of good work. But I remember, John, do, do you want to share with the listeners how old you are? Yeah. So at, at the moment I'm uh, 32 years old. 32. All right. Yeah. So this was four years ago. And, and this is what I was guessing. I go, okay, here's a, a, a young gentleman in his late 20s. And I remember thinking to myself, this is one of the wisest guys I've ever met. For your age, I go, how do you get so much life wisdom? Mm-hmm. And the other thing I noticed about you is you are a student of life. You practice. I know you teach uh, workshops on, mm-hmm. on this idea of child's mind and being curious and you really emulate that. I was just amazed at the great questions you always had. Um, and, and so I have to think there's a here, and this mm. might be a lesson for all of us to ask better questions and, and maybe we can achieve some of the wisdom that, that you've had. So when you, you just wrote a book, it's called Time Off. Um, and, and from what I just said, you, you might guess that I was one of the first people to, to to buy your book because I knew there'd be some good stuff in there. And as I'm reading it, I'm about halfway through, I'm realizing the scope of it is much more than I expected. Mm. You know, when you talk about time off, yeah, I figure, okay, we could do a blog post and cover this, right? But, but no, it goes much deeper. And so I think uh, where we want to start this to kind of set the tone for this discussion is how do you characterize time off? And, and, mm. and maybe more specifically, time off from what exactly? Ooh. Well, Ron, it was an honor during the Alt-MBA. I think we were ahead of the curve. You're looking at trends now in distributed learning. Uh, that was a prototype back then. And uh, now the world is looking at that cohort-based learning models uh, to be new standards. And I think it's all about, uh, first of all, balance too. Thanks for all the, <laughs> you made me, you had me blushing over here with the kind comments. <laughs> but this summer, I just wanted to say, I, I spent a lot of time with a buddy of mine uh, flying around uh, the western parts of the United States going on hiking trips and I was a, a, a naive co-pilot and I know that's a passion of yours and yes. so I think on, on teams we need people like me and like you because you put me behind uh, the the steering of an airplane you're in trouble <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think you know there's always a, a place for people's strengths so it's really honor uh, to be with you again so time off you nailed it, what our mission was. The mission was to help people expand their understanding and definition of what time off was. When we did early research for those that we were hoping to be our readers, when we asked them, what is time off? Everyone defaulted to vacation. That was the, the one definition across the board said, hmm, 
Well, Max, my co-author, and I had been spending a lot of time researching a much broader and deep concept of time off. And we said, well, if everyone thinks that this is the default definition, we have a chance to shift the culture a bit. And as an Alt-MBA student, that's what we're supposed to do. Make a ruckus, shift the culture. And we realized that we needed to come up with a new term to help people with that. And by this point, if you're halfway through the book, it's been pretty clear that in our subtitle, we have the, uh, a term called rest ethic. And that is supposed to sound a lot like work ethic. And when, you, when I say the word work ethic, what comes to people's mind is noble things like grit, focusing, shipping, coordinating, fulfilling, getting things done. Nothing wrong with that. But rest ethic is that same discipline, that same intent, that same pride that goes with your work, but attached to your rest, right? Vacation has this, the traditional vacation has this tendency of having a feeling like, oh, I, I, I need a break and I'm going to just step away and, and press pause for a while. But it's not necessarily attached to being productive. Whereas as our book goes into many, many more time off practices that supplement your traditional vacation so that you can see it as a form of productivity and what it comes down to. And maybe Ron, you remember this in a book we have on the creative process, we uncovered and blew the dust off of a, a fantastic body of work uh, by uh, Graham Wallace on the creative process. And he defined that as four stages. You have preparation, incubation, illumination, and then verification. Without going into the details, you could just think of it as preparation is like you're getting prepared for your work, you're planning, you're strategizing, you're coordinating, maybe you're design thinking. And then the last one, the fourth one, verification, that's work ethic. That's the work as we know it. We're shipping the thing, we're sending things to customers, we're launching our podcast. That's trying to verify the quality of your idea. Now, that's only two of the four. The two in the middle, incubation and illumination, only occur by detaching from the actual task, from the actual work itself. Everyone's had that shower aha moment or that hiking in nature sudden epiphany. That is what a rest ethic is all about. I think about it lately, Ron, as delegating to your other co-founder within yourself, your subconscious. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. I like that. Yeah. So the art of using time off as not only a way to recharge and recover, but it's actually a different type of work. And a type A person like me, this was a massive breakthrough for me. I only believed in the past that quantity of input equaled quality of output. Whereas now to me, a quality rest ethic and a quality work ethic combined equals quality of input equals quality of output. And there's a lot of books about work ethic. I love, I love all of them dearly. We could probably spend the whole rest of this podcast talking about books about work ethic. But when I went to the local bookshop, when we were concepting this book, there wasn't a lot of books about the art of rest. So we said, you know what, let's give it a go and put together uh, a book that hopefully expands everyone's definition of time off. So John, you're speaking my language because I, I love the book. I, and the first book I ever read that kind of put me on this mind shift, I don't know, maybe a, maybe five, six years ago was Tony Schwartz's The Way We're Working Isn't Working and very similar things. Um, but 
what do you say, because I'm with you, but what do you say to the earlier version of Tara who says, my work ethic is really strong and I work 12 hours a day. I'll work seven days a week to get the job done. And that is productivity because, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of people listening right now and it would have been me a decade ago saying rest right now, John, we're in the middle of a pandemic and I'm working from home and I'm, I'm homeschooling children. Like I don't have time to rest. What do you say when you meet that kind of resistance from people? <laughs> well, that, right. Tara, that would also be talking to uh, uh, younger John as well. Okay. Um, I have so many, well, we'd, we'd probably have to have a whole dinner together because I have a bunch of moves. I have a bunch of judo moves for that, for that personality. <laughs> and, and, and I'll just fire, I'll fire off a few. Uh, the first is I would, I would ask them, is your hard work actually working? And like, what, let's really understand what success is. And uh, sure, you might be busy, but are you actually moving the needle? That'd be exercise number one. Exercise number two is I would hand them a book called The Five Regrets of the Dying by Bronnie Ware. Um, all you need to know is regret number two after thousands of people on their deathbed is I wish I wouldn't have worked so hard. Um, a thousand people on their deathbed, uh, as far as I'm concerned, that is a lot of wisdom <laughs> uh, to, to pay attention to. Uh, exercise number three is I would try not to make them feel bad. So former John, former, uh, former uh, Tara, I would say, talk to me about the rare moments that you do not work. And what, what, what does that involve? And you would, well, let, let's just exercise it actually. So Tara, back then, what was any of your, your time off practices? Surfing. <laughs> okay, awesome. And, so and sports, sports. Yeah, sure. And, and when you're out there surfing, and I love that you're bringing up uh, exercise because time off can also be very active. It's, it's not just passive. Um, Tara, when you were out, uh, when you surf, uh, what does that do for you? What kind of meaning is in it? For me, it's a lot of challenge, but in a different way. It's using a different part of my brain um, and maybe fear conquering, which I don't know that I do in my daily work very mm -hmm. often. So it's kind of just exercising different, different parts of the brain, creating confidence in a different way that has nothing mm -hmm. to do with work. Mm -hmm. Nice. And then have you ever, when you're out there uh, waiting for a set to come through, have you ever had any profound thoughts, epiphanies, insights out there on the water? Yes. So I'm very entrepreneurial by nature. And I think on the water over several years, I've created 150 different companies in my brain while I'm waiting for a set to come wow. in. <laughs> very yeah. creative time. It's huge creative time. Okay. So right then and there, it's what I, what I hope our book does in, in that little brief exchange is, and anyone listening, you already know this as an essential truth, that that time off is not only is noble, that noble leisure, it gives you meaning in life. You just spoke to a long list of benefits from it that are ultimately productive. And it's still work. It's just a different type of work. And to your point of you cultivate creativity, new insights, epiphanies, that's important. That's as far as I'm concerned, that's a very important uh, aspect, a variable of work. And so it's this thing that um, I'm we all know this. I truly believe we all know the importance of it. And I'm hoping that this conversation and our book helps people feel less guilty when they go do time off because it actually is productive. The way you answered that was perfect. And so the former me, the former you, I would have that conversation to help them realize when you do actually take a break, it, it actually increases the quality of your work.
And, and you should know that. And if you know that, that type A personality kicks in, you'll start blocking off time for that uh, leisure and, and not forgetting about it and maybe fitting it in when uh, you have a rare chance. You can start prioritizing it as much as you do the work. Let's, let's reemphasize that for just a second. Don't feel guilty about it. Uh, that's me. That's me in a nutshell that I've been wrestling with probably in about the last year of when I had downtime, whatever that looked like, if I wasn't productive or I wasn't on, I'll put on in quotes, I felt like I was wasting time and, and that's not how you are successful in life. And I started learning that that negative beating myself up actually took away from me actually recharging to, to, for me to recharge now, I've got to not only take time off, but embrace that time off and, and not beat myself up for it. So I think there's probably a lot of listeners that, that need to hear that message loud and clear that it's okay. Um, and, and society's not telling us that, right? Society's telling us that, that uh, you're lazy if you're not always on. Mm-hmm. You know, that brings up a great point. And I'm actually going to freestyle a bit of an analogy that we don't have in the book, but I think it's relevant for you, Ron. And uh, Tara, are you a pilot as well? I am not. Okay. I'm not that cool, John. <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not a pilot either. Um, uh, just a, occasional passenger with friends that are. Right. Um, so time off, you could also substitute that word. That we, had a, we had a really hard time coming up with the, our book title. I'll, I'll give you a few uh, of the ones that, that didn't make it as the, the title. Uh, one was why your most important work happens outside of work. Uh, I really liked that one, but it was uh, the editor and others thought it was too lengthy. Uh, another one that was short, but they felt like didn't wasn't as enticing. It was detachment. Mm. And I think about that is a very accurate. That would be a very accurate title for the contents in our book. Detachment from what, John? Yeah, yeah. Going back to that again. Sure, sure. So. Think about, I'll use the, the pilot analogy. If you're, if you're in your car driving around the city, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy, right? You're on, you're on the highway, you're, you're, you're there on the ground moving around. There's a lot going on in the lot you're coordinating. Whereas in, in, in your point of view in that car experience is what it is. Like you can't not pay attention to, to that style of driving. Whereas suddenly Ron takes you up in his plane and you're in the passenger seat and you're now at a higher altitude, you can actually look at yourself or people in cars moving around in that city grid. It's a, it's a change of a point of view. So that's what I mean by detach is detach yourself from the, the, the work ethic, from the, all of the, the doing, the, the to-do list to simply observe what are you working on? Why? How are you working? What's not working? What is working? It's, it's an altitude adjustment. It's a, it's, it's a looking at it from a bird's eye view at your job, your role, your list of tasks, the project itself, your entire life, your relationship to lots of things. All of these time off practices in our book allow you to have that higher altitude point of view and thus, which I know we're going to talk about, is enabling quality reflection, which I think might be the most important work one can do in, in, in life, right? That self-work. 
So if you're, if you're in the email box, you're in the, the classic work ethic like task, there's nothing wrong with that, but you need to break away sometimes to simply see what's going on. And I know Ron, you and I've both been fans of Jocko Willink's work and um, you know, the Navy SEALs, a lot of times, one, one skill they have is the ability to detach, to make better decisions. And as far as I'm concerned, all of us as professionals are in the business of better decisions. And you can't make better decisions if you're not occasionally detaching with intention. And I, and I like that. Yep, detaching with intention, writing that one down. Um, so John, before we get into self-reflection, because that's a, a big thing we want to talk about, how do we start what you're saying on a small level? Because now more than ever, people are having a really, really hard time. And I'm guilty of uh, kind of the end of the workday and really hard time not going into our jobs and, uh, you know, schooling kids 24 seven. How do we make the little incremental changes that can actually grow into bigger ones? Do you think? Sure. I would say this is less about uh, the, our book and more about studies in behavioral psychology. There's a, a great book called Atomic Habits that I would recommend as a great combo of fusion with our book. And so you got to have some kind of micro step. And that micro step also needs to be something that you're already doing. So whatever form of rest you already have or forms of rest, I would start by just time blocking it. Right. We, we operate still with, with calendars and look, we schedule work on the calendar with certain meetings and workshops. Well, you could time block uh, kind of, you know, you, to me, that's the rest ethic. You're treating that, that practice, that ritual, whatever it is for you that you already do, uh, give it the respect as much as you do the work. You know, you put your team's workshop or brainstorming session or sales call. Well, you have the agency to also put you know, your hiking time or your surfing time, or I'm going to go on a 30 minute walk and reflect, or I'm going to go journal. And look, we're all in different seasons of life too. Some people are parents, some people are empty nesters, some people are just getting out of college. So just like every person's work ethic is going to look different based on their season in life, you're going to have to design your own rest ethic. But I, I, I'll say it again, treat it with the same level of discipline as you do your work. You already have the skills. It's just in that calendar invite, uh, put something leisurely. That's all, that's all you're changing is it's the same behavior of blocking time, but putting something that isn't quote work um, in there. And we're disciplined about once you time block it, you usually make it happen. And so that's something that I have to do frequently uh, myself, just because I do operate a lot by uh, the calendar these days. That's one. Another going back to atomic habit, habits is changing your environment. And so I, this is a little hack, maybe it's helpful for other people, is I keep my cell phone away from me um, at the beginning of the day and the end of the day. So it allows me to have a proper ramp up schedule and a, and a proper ramp down schedule uh, for myself. If that little distracting supercomputer is near me, if it's in arm's reach, you know, there's, there's some weird triggers and behavior there. Um, same thing. It's like, I got this cold beer in my hand right now. I had to go, I had to go out of my writing studio into the house to grab it. Whereas if I had a cold cooler here of a bunch oh of beers all day, <laughs> I, might, I might write some interesting content, but that's about it. Um, and so, yeah, you know, just, uh, you have to kind of develop your own rituals, but 
I would say that the real like shift in my mindset was treating my rest as intensely as I do my work. Um, Cause we, we have all the habits already dialed in in our work. It's just doing it in the same uh, in, in your leisurely activities. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. I'm trying to keep it a bit abstract because everyone's so different. I could speak to, you know, my specific habits, but um, those two higher level behaviors have been huge for me. What uh, I'm curious, what, how, how many, how much time in the morning and how much time in the evening do you typically try to set aside to be phone free? Sure. It's, it, I would say minimum, I have a hour ramp up schedule and an hour sort of cool down. Uh, and both of those windows, Ron, are a reflective practice. So think about it. I mean, again, when you're, when you're leaving the airport, you have a checklist and you have a ritual before you leave that tarmac. Likewise, when you're coming in, it's, they're like these bookends. And so I have the equivalent of my, of my day. And it's really important to like check in with myself what is the most important thing I could do today? Because again, a quality work ethic is not micromanaging and multitasking a thousand things. If you pride yourself in that, of anything that takes five seconds or less of human thought, the machines are coming. They're already here. <laughs> I do not recommend priding yourself in that kind of work. Um, whereas if you think about it, we're in a creative economy, a knowledge economy. You have to really ask yourself, of my two to three hours of true deep work, I'm not talking about distracted, pinging around a lot of stuff, but actual concentrated deep work, what am I going to do today? So I have that ritual in the morning to get myself ready to answer that question. Once I have it answered, quality work ethics on, I dive in. I try to have two to three hours of uninterrupted deep work. And then my ramp down is reflecting on how did that, how did that go, what meaning, was there? Did I do anything stupid uh, <laughs> of, of the lessons identified? How could I make them learned? And then ultimately just feeling okay that I, I can close the day and then honor my evening with relationships and other duties that aren't uh, necessarily work, but bring me a lot of meaning and, and recharge. So that's kind of my, my bookend process is a proper preparation and then a proper uh, reflection. Um, and if the more I keep that on, I, I find I'm sharpening the sword over time um, because, uh, you know, I just did a higher level reflection of looking at my journal entries for that, especially the, the end of day. And I, I realize I have a, a tendency to, uh, as my grandpa used to say, uh, bite off more than I can chew. <laughs> and then and, chew like hell. Yeah. And then chew like hell. And, and then whereas I'm like, I'm getting actually better at scoping my day of what, what can I actually achieve? And I'm, I'm able to refine that because of that frequent uh, reflection. I'm able to start seeing patterns. Um, yeah. And probably to feel a lot better about yourself at the end of the day, like you're actually mm -hmm. accomplished rather than falling mm -hmm. short of doing mm -hmm. the 85 things you were trying to yeah, do. That's right. I'm starting to pride myself deeply in the true deep work, which is like I would, I would label as breakthroughs or some kind of intellectual property I've created that's going to live longer than me. Um, whereas I'm, I've become less and less subscribed to, um, what I'll just call as like busyness. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's, I'm having a hard time realizing that I think what separates the amateur from the pro is the amateur is obsessed with more of quantity of input. So how many things that I coordinate and how many Slack messages that I answer, 
Whereas the pros like let my work speak for itself and I'll handle inbounds when they come and, and know of the inbounds, which ones do I actually answer? Um, and and that's all comes back to, to reflection, which again comes down to detachment, which again comes down to time off. And I, and I got to say, I, I picked up on, and maybe the listeners did as well. You talked about two to three hours. That's not 10 to 12 hours. That's two to three hours. So it's, it really comes down to not the quantity, but the quality of work you're doing, right? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm kind of reading between the lines there, but is that, is that what you would say? That's right. Uh, I would say two to th- you will be amazed if you have two to three hours, truly uninterrupted, deep work, you're solving a really hard question or you're you know, developing a prototype of something or you're putting together a story, whatever your work is, if you have truly uninterrupted two to three hours, A, you're in, like intellectually exhausted after that, right. but you, your mind, you might do a month's worth of actual work because you had a breakthrough. Um, and, and I think that that is something that is the power skill of today and the future of work is uh, there's, a, there's a book out there, I'm blanking on the author's name, um, who, who speaks better to this than, than I am now. And the book title says it all. It's indistractable. Um, Nira of all, I think is the author's name. And to me, two to three hours of being indistractable is what's giving me an, a, a competitive edge. And the rest of my time is to build back up that mental energy, but also to reflect and, and let the universe gift me with better ideas so that when I sit down again, I, I'm focusing on something quality. And that's so interesting you say that because I always, I, I, I'd like to spin this to my students that time is not the most valuable resource. And they all kind of look at me like, yeah, you're, you're full of it. And I say energy is going gonna, is gonna to run out before Brilliant. time does. And so I love the fact that you talk Brilliant. about this idea of you got to recharge the mental energy to, to do that good work. I mean, we get, if we get 18 hours in a day, the energy level is not going to be high for 18 hours. And so how do you manage those energy levels? I think is, is incredibly important. Well said. I, I, I think it's all about that energy management. And again, I have my rituals, but let me speak to, I break my own rituals sometimes because of true intuitive check-ins of my energy. There's some times in that two to three hour window when I am trying to be creative and my subconscious and a whole bunch of other things that other variables that are way beyond my pay grade to describe, but I just feel funky. I just feel like I hit a wall and I've now learned, and I practice a martial art called jujitsu where you tap, you submit. Sometimes in the middle of that session, I just have to submit. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just, I'm going to end up making a terrible idea because I, I, I'm just not feeling it. And I'm going to go for a walk. And then on that walk, Usually I'm gifted with a breakthrough or an insight and I'm all energized and I come back and then I transfer that gift. I transfer that energy. And so that's something that's important too, is leveraging your energetic knowing, you know, that intuition you have of, um, you know, it's better to, to have a 30 minutes of full on creative explosion because you're feeling it versus trying to force yourself into two hours of work when you're just feeling off, like who's going to come up, who's going to come out with a better output, you know? John, uh, as Ron told you earlier, we both work with entrepreneurs and what I've been noticing, especially in the last month, it's just been the last month that's been really heavy. People are really reaching out and saying, I am so burned out 
to the point that I never knew existed before. Um, I, I, I can't focus. I don't want to work on the project that I'm working on anymore. I can't motivate my people. Uh, how much of this, and this is, it's very COVID related and I think it's very, you know, working from home related, but I think it's also, we've really lost sight of leisure because with every unfortunately negative thing going on in the world right now, it might be hard to say I deserve leisure. I deserve to take a walk. I deserve to go for a hike. I deserve to unplug. How much of that do you think is connected and just how do I can see you reacting to this as I'm saying it? And what does it all mean to you? Well, first the people reaching out saying that they're burned out. I think they are 10 times braver and stronger than those that pride themselves on just keep burning the midnight oil that vulnerability like when you're feeling burned out and you say it it's not only honors your experience as a human and that dignity involved but it gives permission to others to speak up to that as well so for those that have felt that but more importantly have spoken it hats off to you that's that's what it's all about that's step one you know i there's this concept in the book that Aristotle, we, we looked at a concept that he spoke to in ancient Greece called noble leisure. And for, for you two, what you do in your leisure time, I, I have an idea of how meaningful that is to you, but only you have an idea of how meaningful that is to you and the people involved. And that's what it's all about. It's that time off beyond just for the sake of recharging. It's actually these practices that we do outside of work are noble because they increase the saturation of life. They increase the saturation of our soul. And how much is that worth, right? I don't even have an answer for that. It's priceless. Um, In our book, I'll speak to something like, I tend to like to motivate people by saying, hey, here's a trend, here's, here." is where things are going, right? It's, that's what motivates industries to shift, to motive, uh, to innovate, to be more sustainable, et cetera. And Max and I have worked a lot, my co-author in automation and artificial intelligence. And if you speak, we have a profile in the book, uh, Kai-Fu Lee, who is like a, a Steve Jobs of AI, if you will. And he had, he was 80 hour work weeks plus eight, like if, if there was, he wishes there were ten, there was ten days a week just so they could work that many, but then he had a a, a breakdown, uh, developed life threatening cancer, and had to really think about wow the last five years I haven't been there for my family and now I'm gonna die. Mm-hmm. Uh, he almost was a case study in the five regrets of the dying. Uh, God was on his side and um, he survived and now he is such an advocate for saying humans are here to do more than just work we're here to love we're here to share we're here to make art we're here to do things that machines can't do whereas most of human suffering right now in work as far as we see it is humans trying to emulate machines there was a time where in the pre-industrial right the um, the start of the industrial age where yeah we were machines we were machine like in an assembly line but Thanks to science and technology and automation, most of that's been handed over to machines, not only because it's more effective, uh, but it's more safe. Uh, Machines are precise. They do these things. Whereas a human being, we're very messy 
And I say that with a smile, like in a good way. You know, we, we crack jokes, we make mistakes, and then we turn that into an idea. And I, I like to just motivate people by saying, literally with trends of AI that, that are happening, most of the parts of work that burn us out have to do with us being machine-like, and that's not going to last very long. So the things you do in your free time, in your time off, whatever that is, that is job-proof for the future of work. I can't talk to you about the specifics of like what, there's going to be job names we don't even have a name for yet. But in the book, I like to say something tangible is what you do in your volunteer time or your extracurricular time typically is something very deeply human. It, it's, not, it's not this like busy work, this mundane, hyper trying to emulate a machine type of work. It's very, very human. And that's noble leisure. And I think uh, as our end of the book says, the future of work is a return to noble leisure. That will be work for us because honestly, that's what's going to be left for human beings because uh, again, machines can handle the mundane not only better, but they should because it, it takes out the saturation uh, of, of our life. And so I hope for people that right now, if you're feeling burned out, maybe meet with your team and, and talk about, well, what's driving that burnout and, and do an audit about that. And then maybe what, what of our work today doesn't make you feel burned out and just start parsing those two things apart. And I would, I would, uh, I would gamble on saying that most likely if you parse that out, the stuff that's burning you out is machine-like and in the stuff that people are energized by is again, what humans are great at. And, and we just need to start honoring that more and finding ways to um, automate and be open to automation and not see it as a threat, but see it as a gift. So we can get back to these practices and type of work that don't exhaust us so much, but instead have us super jazzed about quote work as it, as it, as it changes in its definition. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm like freestyling, ranting at the moment. Love but, it. Freestyle but, no, all no, you yes. want, my friend. Yeah, no, that's it's, great. It's fascinating it's great. stuff. And I want to I wanna just kind of hit the rewind button a little bit and say thank you for saying, you know, when we, when we started this conversation about burnout, that um, that takes courage to, to admit it. We, we are in a society that that is almost like looked at as a sign of weakness. And, and that, that's, that's, that's broken. And so I'm glad that you, you spent some time talking about that, um, especially right now. So let, let's pivot. Uh, we're, we're, I would like to do this for another three hours, but um, maybe, maybe this will be our, our final question, but we've, we've talked a lot about this idea of reflection. So right now in society, we're facing something that, that most of us have never faced in, in, in our lifetimes, and that is being forced into isolation. Um, and so we're, we're, in essence, being forced into reflection and solitude. And not everybody is, is, is enjoying this. <laughs> I've talked to a lot of people that are struggling mightily with this idea of being alone with their thoughts. And it brings to mind a, a somewhat fascinating, at least fascinating to me, a 2014, I believe, study, a psychology study where they put people in a room um, and, and they, they took away their phone and, and you had no book to read, no magazine. So basically removing all stimuli from the room. And they said, Hey, we want you to sit in here for 15 minutes, now, 15 minutes, not five hours, 15 minutes. And here's the caveat. You could push a button and actually administer a, a electric shock to yourself. And then you could, you could get out ahead of time. 
And so what's amazing to me is 67% of men, two thirds of men <laughs> and 25% of women, which, which might be a whole nother podcast. Why are women <laughs> a little better with this than others? But 67% of the men and 25% of the women actually shocked themselves to not be alone with their thoughts. They, that was so uncomfortable to them. They'd rather have an electric shock. To me, this is madness. And so uh, this, I think this just fits well with what, everything you're talking about. So what do you think about that, John? Is that, how did yep. we get here? Is mm. this, is this good for us? Is this healthy <laughs> for us? Uh, it's not healthy. And I'm going to pay respects to my grandfather who has passed, but he lived to 98. And when he was 97, we were still chopping wood and he was a gentleman very vulnerable man, but because of that, very tough, a true cowboy figure, very gentle cowboy. And I asked him, I said, Grandpa, how'd you make it this long? And he goes, well, the number one thing is I don't believe in gossip. Let me explain why that relates to this. Okay. Is why it's so hard to go inward is because we're so stimulated outward. We're worried about everyone else. We're distracted because of the attention economy. We're constantly billowed with other media and advertising and the external world coming to us, trying to define us who we're supposed to be. Whereas the solitude work, the inner work is the epic hero or shero journey of shifting from what society wants from you to you saying, what do you want from you? And that my friends is no easy thing. I think it's the ultimate journey one uh, partakes on. And it's hard because we're constantly stimulated. It's much easier to point the finger outward than it is inward. It's much easier to say, oh, you know, so-and-so down the street's doing it all wrong if they could only do it like us. Um, whereas, you know, it's a humble practice when you go inward and you have to reflect on, um, you know, your past, you know, your faults, uh, ways you have to improve. And then also to just realize that a lot of things out there are a distraction from, from really reflecting inward. But I want to say that if you can start practicing that inwardness, that brief solitude, even if it's 15 minutes, we all got 15 minutes to go inward and, and ask some hard questions to ourselves. Turn off the TV, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, and the electric shock opportunity. Yeah, 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 exactly. But here in the book, I've got in our reflection chapter, um, I'm going to pay a lot of respects to Marcus Aurelius and the Stoics. And in this quote here at the, at the chapter, um, I just love the way he quoted this. He said, quote, nowhere can man find, and woman, can find a quieter or more untroubled retreat than in his own soul. He also said, how much time he saves who does not look to see what his neighbor says or does or thinks. And at the end of that chapter, we have a practice, a micro practice, which is find tranquility by focusing only on what's in your control. It's what the Stoics were all about. And I think that's what resiliency and grit comes down to is uh, we say, try to cultivate your own inner fortress through your time off practice. And, and, and having that tranquility, even if it's a brief moment, to simply reflect on what factors you have control over and which ones are beyond your control. 
Because if you do that list, just like I recommended the list of the teams looking at the mundane task versus the meaningful, you can do this at any moment. What's actually in my control and what's not? And the list is pretty damn short what's in your control. And it all has to do with you. <laughs> Whereas we distract ourselves with the whole list of what is not actually in our control. And it's the, the sexy distractions that are, that are out there. And so um, you can be fearless by just knowing that if you do that list of what's in your control, it's actually going to be a shorter list. So you could be confident about that. And then that's all you have to focus on. Your task list gets actually much shorter when you, when you reflect on just what's in, in your control. And if that sounds uncomfortable, lean into it. Everything meaningful is going to have something that is uncomfortable, right? That's in my grandpa to pay respects. Again, he always said in anything difficult, you got two options. You can go through it or you can grow through it. And I think the, the latter is the, the best one to do. And I think that inner work allows you to at all times grow through what you're going through. Whereas if you're distracted by the external, you'll just go through it. You'll just simply go through the motions and it'll be a, a bullet item on your list of experiences, but it won't be a level up of your software of you. Um, and so that inner work, that solitude allows you to upgrade yourself, just like we upgrade our iPhones each you know, week, it feels like now. Hey, John, let us ask you before we head on out, uh, what advice do you have for people right now when it comes to building mental toughness, resilience, and grit into their daily lives? I have a, I have a, I have a prompt that I would, I would recommend everyone to do. I do this very often. I make, and, and this is an awesome solitude reflection practice. I take a piece of paper and I draw a line down the middle you could do it hot, uh, hamburger style, hot dog style. It's up to you. And on one side, you say more of. And on the other side, you say less of. It could even be five minutes. You don't even need 15 minutes. Right then and there, check in with yourself. What do you want more of in life? And what do you want less of in life? Um, that little activity brings me so much inner peace. Usually makes me very emotional because I realize the stuff I want less of, I've been prioritizing actually. And the, and the things I want more of in my life, I haven't, I haven't been making the time for. Um, and it, it's, a, it's an awesome ego check. It's a reset. And it helps you strategize when you actually do work and decide what to put your focus on. It's, it's focused on the right things. And you start detaching from the things that are uh, sucking meaning and, and uh, happiness out of your life. Seriously, is there any better advice than that? John Fitch, thank you. Author of Time Off, A Practical Guide to Building Your Rest Ethic and Finding Success Without Stress. Thanks so much for being here. We'll see y'all next week. Thanks for joining us this week. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell all your friends. If you didn't, let's just forget this happened and we'll try again next week. Until then, join the revolution to forge metal and connect with us on social media.